I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's program, the utility of the water drinking test in glaucoma. We observed that there was a significant difference in the performance of the water drinking test between the patients that progressed and the patients that did not progress. First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. Vasani declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. You can now get Category 1 CME credit for listening to A Scene From Here. Go to asseenfromhere.com and click on the link marked CME. For right now, you'll need to print the quizzes out and mail them in. We hope to have electronic versions of the quiz available by the end of this year. Big news for iTunes users. You can now get As Seen From Here through iTunes. Go to asseenfromhere.com and click on the iTunes Users link. Then click the subscribe button and you're done. How many times have you seen this? Two patients with glaucoma and good pressure control. One patient suffers visual field progression, and one does not. There are many reasons this clinical situation may arise. One is that the patient with the visual field progression has higher intraocular pressures at times other than those being measured. One way to assess pressure fluctuations is by performing diurnal pressure measurements. Of course, diurnal pressure measurement has three substantial disadvantages. It is time-consuming for the ophthalmologist, It is exceedingly inconvenient for the patient, and, in the end, it only provides data during office hours. If the patient's peak pressure occurs early in the morning or late in the evening, the diurnal pressure measurement will not catch it. But until there is a glaucoma equivalent of a Holter monitor, we have few alternatives. Roberto Vasani thinks he's hit on one. He performs a water drinking test, the details of which are explained in the interview. Although the water drinking test is not new, it has fallen out of favor for the detection of glaucoma. Dr. Vasani puts the test to a new use as a surrogate for diurnal pressures. He is the author of a paper in the British Journal of Ophthalmology examining the correlation between the results of the water drinking test and visual field progression. What part do intraocular pressure fluctuations play in the management of glaucoma? Intraocular pressure fluctuation is an important parameter to evaluate in patients with glaucoma. Uh, We know that there are a group of patients that may have normal or adequate intraocular pressures measurements during office hours. Sometimes uh, part of those patients actually do not have adequate intraocular pressure measurements and they may have fluctuations of this intraocular pressure we may not detect during this office visit. Is there, is there evidence that patients with greater intraocular pressure fluctuations run into more trouble than patients who have identical mean pressures but lower fluctuations? Well, there are at least three studies showing that there are uh, the patients that have higher fluctuations, intraocular pressure fluctuations, may, have, may be at higher risk for uh, glaucoma progression. So uh, the intraocular pressure fluctuation is a very important parameter to check in those patients. 
the importance of the peaks and this diurnal variation of intraocular pressure as risk factors uh, to glaucomatous progression has well been established. There is a study by Stewart that demonstrated that a low variance in intraocular pressure over time is important in preserving visual function in advanced glaucoma. Zimmer also found that 29% of patients with progressive visual field loss had intraocular pressure peaks during home tonometry, compared to 5% of patients have stable visual fields. Other authors, such as Martinez Bello, found that peak intraocular pressure patients who progressed was significantly different from those who remained stable in a prospective studies. These studies may suggest that intraocular pressure fluctuation is really important to those patients when we are evaluating the glauco their glaucoma. What is the relation between intraocular pressure fluctuations and the results of a water test? There are uh, some important studies, some from the past, uh, one from Miller from the 50s, where they trying to correlate the intraocular pressure measurements obtained from a diurnal tension curve and the measurements from a water drinking test, and he found a good correlation between these two tests. And there's, there are also other studies, there are other recent studies, one from Medeiros and co-workers, showing that there is a, a real color, correlation between the water, the peak of the water drinking test, the intraocular pressure peak of the water drinking test, and the intraocular pressure peak of the diurnal tension curve. So uh, this correlation between these two tests was already checked before. The thesis of your uh, current study here is is that you're going to use the the water test as a tool to examine intraocular pressure fluctuations because it's your your contention that intraocular pressure fluctuations are independent of everything else. What's going to determine whether a patient's visual field is going to 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 progress or uh, not to? Yes, uh, in this study in particular, we are interested in in how the intraocular pressure would behave after a water drinking test, and to compare uh, the groups that progress in the visual field and the group the group that did not progress in the visual field in terms of their intraocular pressure fluctuation after this test. In this paper, the the procedure that that you studied was the water test. Can can I have you explain what the water test is? The water drinking test is the test that was already studied in the 60s. This test is basically performed by drinking one liter of tap water and then measuring the intraocular pressure every 15 minutes for at least 60 minutes. The idea here is to check if you have an intraocular pressure elevation. In patients with glaucoma, we usually see this variation in very high values. It's not clear the physiopathology of this test, I mean, the mechanism that would lead to the elevation of the intraocular pressure. There are at least two studies that try to understand that, but they didn't reach a good conclusion about this, this test. Uh, one thing that is important about the water drinking test is that this test for sure tests the outflow facility, the aqueous humor outflow. So um, I would say this is a very important test to check that. How soon after drinking water does the pressure start going up? And at what point does the pressure then start coming back down again? 
usually you're going to find a rise after 15 minutes and uh, sometimes after 30 minutes you're going to find a peak of the intraocular pressure. So I would say that's between 15 and 30 minutes. You mentioned that the water test was developed in the 1960s. How was this test used previously, prior to this study? Well, this test uh, was used in the 60s to try to... Uh, they used the test to find if this test could be useful in the diagnosis of glaucoma, and that was uh, that was not a good test. They, they showed that this test was not really a good one for evaluating patients and checking if they had glaucoma. Because of that, they, they simply stopped doing this kind of uh, studies evaluating modern drinking tests as a, uh, one of one test as to evaluate patients with glaucoma. In the clinical setting, the uh, water test had previously been abandoned. Yes. Uh, one, I think one of the main problems with those studies is that they tried to create cutoff values to establish if the patient had or not glaucoma. And first of all, the Trying to evaluate intraocular pressure with this kind of test, is, with this kind of test, is for sure not a good way to evaluate if a patient has glaucoma or not, and we know that. And second, creating cutoff values is also not a good idea when you perform this test. And we mentioned that in our study. I mean, uh, in this study in particular, the idea is to evaluate intraocular pressure control, which is one of the important things that we have to check in when we are evaluating patients with glaucoma. We, f we believe that we cannot create cutoff values with this test because every specific, a specific patient may have a, a target pressure established by their clinician. So if the patient has an intraocular pressure fluctuation higher than the value established as a target pressure when he's performing the water drinking test, that's a real problem. So I would say that for every patient, you should check uh, the intraocular pressure variation during water drinking tests, um, and each patient would have a, a value that you will establish as dangerous or not. This was a retrospective study, is that right? Well, this was a retrospective study uh, analysis uh, of 76 eyes of 76 open-angle glaucoma patients. They were followed by a mean period of 26 months. All subjects, uh, they were submitted to water ranking tests at the beginning of the follow-up period, and they were also submitted to periodic achromatic automated perimetry uh, during the study period. And all of those patients were under clinical therapy, and they all had intraocular pressure lower than 70 millimeters of mercury. And these measurements were performed by isolated measurements at the office hours and also by diurnal tension curves. And the results of the water drinking test were compared between the patients that we defined that were that progressed, that had visual field progression, and patients that did not have visual field progression. And can you tell me what the study found? We observed from those 70 eyes uh, seven, of 76 patients that 28 eyes reached the definite visual field progression. There were no significant difference between those groups in the mean age, sex, race, and also the basal intraocular pressure, and also uh, anti-glaucomatous drugs. 
we observed that there was a significant difference in the performance of the water drinking test between the patients that progressed and the patients that did not progress. In this study, 28 eyes reached definite visual field progression. There were no significant difference in some characteristics, such as mean age, sex, race, and basal intraocular pressure, and also the number of anti-glaucomatous drugs that they were using. Uh, but in this study, we found a difference in the water drink test results, and this difference was observed in intraocular pressure peaks and also in the percentage of intraocular pressure fluctuations. We observed that uh, the group that developed visual field de deterioration had a fluctuation of almost 34% compared to 17% of the group uh, that did not provide a visual field deterioration. What you did was was you took a, a, a population of 76 eyes of 76 patients with glaucoma with similar intraocular pressures and on similar medications. Yes. And what you did was you recognized that some of these patients would go on to develop visual field loss and, and some of them wouldn't. What you found was that uh, comparing the, the group that developed visual field loss with the group that, that did not, there was no difference in measured intraocular pressure on glaucoma medications in uh, age. But you did find that there was a substantial difference in the response to the, to the water drinking test. Now, what do you think that's, that's telling us? I mean, what, 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 what is the, the, the difference in, what, what does the difference in the, in the water drinking test mean? The difference in the results of the water drinking test between the two groups would imply that maybe during office hours, we are not actually getting the higher intraocular pressure measurements. We know that the water drinking test has a good correlation with the diurnal tension curve. It's possible that when you are performing isolated measurements in the office and you find that the patient has a good intraocular pressure that you establish as a target pressure, this patient may not be very well controlled. And when you perform water drinking tests and you check uh, and you see an elevation of intraocular pressure, it's possible that this patient may not be very well controlled. And this study shows exactly that. I mean, patients were presenting intraocular pressures lower than 17 millimeters of mercury, but when they performed this test, they, some of them showed elevation of an intraocular pressure, and a great part of them it provided visual field progression. You mentioned that uh, there's a relationship between the response to the water drinking test and the diurnal pressure curve. What I'm curious is whether you think that intraocular pressure fluctuations are a function of outflow problems, that, that the patients who have particularly challenging outflow, outflow pathology uh, are the ones who, number one, are going to have wide fluctuations in their diurnal intraocular pressures, and number two, are uh, going to have an impressive finding on the water test? Well, the, the, this relationship between diurnal tension curve and uh, water drinking test is not uh, new. I mean, uh, one of the first persons that published something about that was Miller in 1964, and he provided that there was a real relationship between these two uh, tests, and this was confirmed later by other authors, such as um, 
Medeiros and recently, and also by other authors uh, such as uh, Frankenson. So um, there is a, a relationship that was already uh, showed by other authors, and um, uh, the good thing that is that uh, you don't have to do. It seems that you don't have to do a diurnal pension curve to check your intraocular pressure fluctuation. I mean, it may be possible that you could do uh, water drinking tests instead of doing diurnal tension curve to check this intraocular pressure fluctuation. Uh, that's the idea. I mean, when we when we did the study, we we're thinking about uh, if this test could check could be useful to evaluate intraocular pressure fluctuation. If and, and if we find something in this test, this would be useful in terms of predicting visual field progression. How do you use the water test in the context of your own practice? You know, in my practice, uh, I usually perform uh, I start performing a diurnal tension curve in this patient, and after that, I perform a water drinking test. I think that this test, the water drinking test, is really useful, especially in those patients that are under treatment already. So I, I, I like to perform them uh, before medication and also after medication. And uh, usually, after establishing the treatment, I tend to follow them with the water drinking test. Do you recommend using the water test as a substitute for a diurnal pressure curve? Uh, actually, I, I would say that it would be more adequate to start doing a diurnal tension curve and also a water drinking test. And uh, once you do that, you may be allowed to do a water drinking test to follow up those patients instead of doing diurnal tension curve. I mean, this study that we published may, may suggest that we could follow them with a water drinking test uh, when they are already under, under treatment. And this may be useful because we know that it's really complicated to keep a patient uh, a whole day in our office trying to check their intraocular pressure fluctuation. So I would say that this test may be useful because it may provide important information and also may be easy to perform in your office. Are there particular patients for whom the water drinking test is especially valuable? Yes, there are some particular patients that may benefit better from this test. These patients would be patients, all patients that are under uh, clinical therapy may be may benefit from this test because you may check their intraocular pressure fluctuation with this test. But especially those patients that are, I'll say that the best patients present visual field progression when you're evaluating those printouts. The water drinking test, you may detect some kind of fluctuation, some kind of intraocular pressure fluctuation that you would not detect doing the single office measurements. What do you do in your own practice with an abnormal result from a water drinking test? Do you lower your target pressure for a patient for whom the water drinking test suggests greater IOP fluctuations? Well, uh, if I establish a target pressure for that patient and if I perform a water drinking test and I find a value that is distant from the pressure that I'd like that patient to have, 
I certainly try to change my, my options, my therapy. So if you get an abnormal result on the water drinking test, and it's your sense that this reflects uh, greater fluctuations in intraocular pressure, um, you're, you're going to use that to lower the goal pressure that you set for these patients. The only thing I'd like to add is that, I mean, this is, was a retrospective study. It has uh, its limitations, but, I mean, it's an interesting study to start, to make us start thinking about this test as a possible test to be evaluated in a prospective study. I would say that the importance of evaluating a test like that in a prospective study is that we may establish this test uh, as um, a new parameter to a new method to evaluate easily our patients in our office. And that's what we want because uh, it's really difficult to evaluate them uh, doing uh, many measurements uh, during the whole day and keeping the patient in your office. Roberto, thank you very much. It was a real pleasure to, to talk to you, Joshua. Thank you. Roberto Vassani is glaucoma assistant at the University of Sao Paulo in Sao Paulo, Brazil. His paper, The Relation Between Intraocular Pressure Peak in the Water Drinking Test and Visual Field Progression in Glaucoma, appears in the October 2005 issue of the British Journal of Ophthalmology. I've been asked by several listeners to create a mailing list to distribute information about upcoming programs. To keep with the podcast's interactive theme, I've set up a discussion group. By joining the group, you will get occasional emails from me describing upcoming programs, topics I'm working on, and guests I have lined up for interviews. You'll also be able to suggest papers and guests for future podcasts, and you'll be able to discuss the podcasts with other listeners. To get enrolled, click on the Contact Us button on asseenfromhere.com and indicate that you want to be enrolled in the mailing list in the message body. I will, of course, not send spam. Colon, close paren, Josh. You can participate in As Seen From Here by calling our listener response lines. You can ask questions of our guests or discuss the topics yourself. Listeners in the United States dial area code 646-808-0231. Listeners in the United Kingdom dial 020-7558-8275. Messages left on the system may be included in future episodes of As Seen From Here. The listener response lines are in beta testing. You're supposed to hear a nice greeting welcoming you to the show, but for now, all that you'll hear is this. The person you're trying to reach is not available. Please leave a message after the beep. Go ahead and leave your message anyway. We'll still get it. All messages left on this system become the property of As Seen From Here. The full text of the release is available on asseenfromhere.com forward slash legal. Again, those numbers in the United States are area code 646-808-0231 and in the United Kingdom, 020-7558-8275. Be a part of the podcast. I'll repeat the numbers again at the end of the show. Ask questions of Dr. Vasani or any of our previous guests or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. 
These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines. In the United States, dial area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom, dial 020-7558-8275 or Skype JYoungMD. Those numbers can be found on our website as seenfromhere.com. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.